Our Old Testament reading this morning is from the book of the prophet Isaiah in the 65th chapter, beginning at verse 17 and continuing through verse 25. I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and joy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old. But the sinner, being 100 years old, shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them. They shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. They shall not build and another inhabit. They shall not plant and another eat. For as the days of a tree, so shall be the days of my people. And my elect shall long enjoy the work of their hands. They shall not labor in vain nor bring forth children for trouble. For they shall be the descendants of the blessed of the Lord and their offspring with them. It shall come to pass that before they call, I will answer. And while they are still speaking, I will hear. The wolf and the lamb shall feed together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. And dust shall be the serpent's food. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain, says the Lord. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Our New Testament reading this morning is the the story of the discovery of this tomb according to the Gospel of Luke, the 24th chapter of the opening 11 verses. There it is written, but on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. When they went in, they did not find the body While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified, and on the third day rise again. Then they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary, the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them like an empty, I like an idle tale, and they did not believe them. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. Mary of Magdala and Joanna had both become followers and supporters of Jesus since he had relieved them both of the evil spirits that had plagued them The disciple James' mother, whose name was Miriam, Mary, 
and the unnamed and unnumbered other women where the first witnesses to, um, to what? <laughs> One of my daughters was watching a, a television program the other day when I happened to walk in during a commercial break and the advertisement that was on was for cosmetics of some sort, uh, eyeliner or eyelash enhancer or some such, but what struck me was a marketing phrase I happened to hear coming doubtless from someone in the PR department who had invented it to hype this product claiming that it contained vibrant black pigmentation. Well, I got to thinking, which I probably shouldn't do, but I'm pretty sure the only color that can rightly be said to be composed of pigments is a color. And in school, I sort of remember being taught in physics that black was by definition not a color. It was rather the absence of any other color. But I guess that's why I'm not a pitch man for a home shopping network. Anyhow, I, I still recall being struck these many years ago by the seeming absurdity of such an odd phenomena that we would define something by describing it primarily in terms of that which it is not. But it turns out the color or lack of color called black is not the only such paradox. For example, silence. It can be considered to be the lack of sound waves and absence is often defined as the lack of presence. And it is just this condition that the author of the Gospel according to Luke uses to introduce us to the incredibly miraculous, mystifying, and somewhat confounding truth of that first Easter. The women were introduced to just a moment ago. They were the first to the tomb of Jesus that first day of the Hebrew week. And they had come there to perform a sacred rite for their friend and teacher, but they could not fulfill this task for which they had come. The body that they bore the burial spices to anoint, it was not present. The grave had been opened and Jesus was absent. Why? Why would someone break in and remove his body? The group was, we are told, perplexed. They were at a loss to explain what they were seeing and the reason for it. And then two figures appear beside them, dressed in raiment of dazzling white, and this shook them up even further. They collapsed to the ground, shielded their faces from the brilliance of these two figures, and they heard them speak these words, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. It has been said that the Gospels do not explain the resurrection. The resurrection explains the Gospels. The story that Luke has been telling for the previous 23 chapters, all the words that he had penned 
well, spoken and were later penned, up to this point, now begin to come into a new, sharper focus. You will not find your friend, Jesus, the rabbi, the Messiah. He is not in the territory of the dead. The women were astonished and based on what we're told of the reaction of the other disciples when they told them what had transpired, well, so were they too. And honestly, so might we be. After all, we know the dead just don't get up and walk off. No, the dead stay dead. They decompose in the tombs. That's the way it works. Except for this one time when that's not the way it worked. Yet among the dead is where so many look for God if they bother to look for God at all. They look for a cosmic clockmaker who put the gears of the universe in motion at the Big Bang and then went off somewhere far, far away to do something else and challenging for his amusement. Or they look for an absentee landlord who kicked the first man and woman out of Eden and has set up a force to defend that piece of sacred ground from interlopers now for thousands of years. Or they look at a statue or a painting of a tired-looking, bearded old man who demanded exclusive worship from the beings he fashioned in his image and who got wrathful and jealous when they exercised free will to rebel and gain their independence. But none of these, I submit to you, is a living God. They are all concocted caricatures dreamt up by people whose imaginations haven't been matured enough by the Spirit to say to themselves, maybe the good news really is good news. Perhaps there is a God who not only once upon a time lived, but who still does live. A God who loves us enough to continue to bother with us, even knowing what a terrible mess we are. This is the God who not only came to dwell among us, but who was willing to die for us, that we might be spared the judgment that we would otherwise rightly deserve. This is the God who defeated the powers of sin and death, the God who to this day is working out a divine and perfect plan for the salvation of the entire world. This God is not to be found among the dead, for he has risen. He has risen indeed. And if the words of the gospel according to Luke are true, then as unlikely as it may seem, even to Jesus' own disciples, the reasons we find ourselves gathered together here in this historic building on this springtime Sunday is because we worship a risen, living Lord. The resurrection of Jesus from the dead is the central tenet of our faith. If you don't believe that it happened, you cannot rightly be regarded as Christian. It doesn't stop one from going to church 
But it does prevent one from claiming to be Christian. And if you are here this morning worshiping as a Christian and not simply as a bystander, then just like and on account of Jesus, you, my friends, are among the living. There's the great gift of Easter. It's too big to be squeezed into a a little plastic egg or fit into a basket. It won't rot your teeth and it won't go funky after months in the fridge. That, that, my brothers and sisters, is the great what of Easter. And now I invite us to consider for a bit the great so what of Easter. Yes, Jesus came, and yes, Jesus took away death's final sting, and that is a tremendous comfort to us as we face our own mortality, but even more profound, I think, than that is that we who believed in and trust upon Jesus are no longer numbered among the dead, but among the living. Like Jesus, we are risen. We are alive. Because of Jesus' empty tomb, our lives are no longer empty. We have meaning. We have purpose. We have hope. We have a life. This new life granted to us by the Savior is abundant and eternal, and it has already dawned upon us. No more need to be held back by past mistakes or by present addictions. We have been freed from all such life-inhibiting forces, having been cleansed, forgiven, sustained, and freed by the one who is free from the bonds of the tomb. At liberty, then, to live as those who bear the name of the crucified and risen one, may we put our blessings to work by blessing others. And trust me, the world and the billions in it, they're hungry for a blessing. This world can be a tough place. Life can be rough. Folks need to hear an Easter message of life and light in a land of death and darkness. This is just the message that you, church, that you bear. The church is a people. It is a fellowship of the living that is connected by a thread spun by the Spirit to all those who have come before and all those who will come after us. I've seen what seems to be a substantial number of folks doing some weeding or placing some flowers or cleaning some gravestones out here this week. Perhaps it is in part on account of the past pandemic lockdown years, but it feels as if there's been more of that going on in the churchyard than in years previous to this. And while that is all well and good to honor the memory of faithful witnesses from generations past, that is not the so what of Easter. Neither, I almost hesitate to add, is the dearly cherished tradition of dinner with all the family and all the fixins, or the coloring and hunting 
of eggs, certainly nice things to do that often give us warm fuzzies and make for some great photos and great memories, but these are not the so what's of Easter. But that isn't confined to our dining rooms or even a a well-maintained churchyard cemetery or even inside these wonderfully historic walls. But the so what of Easter lives on your tongue and in your flesh. The body of Christ. It is a gift, yes, a gift both to us but also to the world. All who believe now bear the image of Christ who died but now lives for us. His resurrected life prefigures our own. Through his infinite grace, we have received a treasure that does not rust nor decay, that can never be exhausted, never will run dry. And we are called and equipped to take that treasure out and share it. What we do with such an unmerited gift is left up to each of us. But I would invite you to give some thought this beautiful Easter morning to the ways that you are called to display this new life that you have been gifted with, this life that lives in your resurrected bodies that have been made new, even as they are being prepared for another, even more glorious expression in the future. I look forward to seeing how the Lord will use each and every one of us until we again celebrate this day of resurrection as we give witness in and to the world that the miracle of Easter is more than just an idle tale. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen.